and welcome to another episode of Beyond Barriers podcast. Your hosts, Acacia Dietz and Jeff Scoop. Uh, today, we have with us a very special guest, Josh Stepakoff. Uh, in 1999, at the age of six, Josh was shot in what was known as the North Valley Jewish Community Center shooting. Today, at the age of 28, he speaks out on behalf of gun regulation and offers words of encouragement to young children affected by gun violence. Since then, he has become an activist and works with Women Against Gun Violence, where he serves as a board member and a member of their Speakers Bureau. He is also involved with the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence. Josh has a master's in clinical psychology from Pepperdine University, and he lives in Southern California with his wife and one-year-old daughter. Welcome, Josh. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us. So, Josh, it's really wonderful to see you again. Uh, it it yeah. was... Uh, it's been some, uh, uh, if we could tell, tell the viewers a little bit, we first met at the Simon Wiesenthal Center in, in LA uh, some months back. Yeah, a couple months ago, we had a, a very unique opportunity to have a conversation that I don't think a lot of people <laughs> have had or heard. Um, so I'm excited to, uh, to kind of follow up on that a little bit and, and dig a little deeper. Yes, same here. And thank you so much. It's, it's truly an honor to have you here, brother. And, and um, uh, thanks again for, for joining us. If, if you could, for the, for the viewing audience, you know, we're going to take people uh, back to the um, 1990s and uh, a very difficult time um, in your life. And if you could just share a little bit of that, um, you know, with uh, the way uh, society is a lot of times people don't remember things from from day to day and and uh the the news cycle is so fast um so i, I think it's really important to to revisit what what took place so we don't yeah. have things like this happen again if, if you don't mind totally um yeah and it's kind of crazy to think we're coming up on well we're over 20 years now uh since this happened and um so absolutely i'm sure most people don't remember this uh, but back in August of 1999, I was attending the North Valley Jewish Community Center. It's a, a, a day camp that was in a suburb right outside of Los Angeles called Granada Hills. And, um, you know, I, I went to day camp there five days a week. My parents both worked full time. So I would go there every day during the summer. And it was my home away from home. On the morning of August 10th, 1999, a neo-nazi came in with a, an uzi knockoff and he fired 70 rounds in less than a minute uh, he shot me twice once in my left leg and then another bullet lodged in my left hip and uh, he shot two other kids under the age of six a camp counselor at the age of 16 a receptionist in her 60s and then he later went on to kill a mailman by shooting him nine times in the back because he wasn't white but he technically worked for the government um so this uh this guy after he after everything was said and done he came out vocally and he said you know he was hoping this was a wake-up call to america to kill jews and um you know thankfully myself and the rest of the camp People survived. Um, Joseph Aletto was the mail carrier. He was here in Chatsworth, California, and uh, he was the one who, who was murdered. Um, and his family continues to do amazing work and uh, try and wage, raise awareness. And um, But yeah, it's been, like I said, over 20 years now. 
and it's still something that I deal with all the time. No, I was going to say it's, it's incredible that, you know, 20 years later, you're talking to people about this because I can't imagine going through that at that young of an age. And yet now, years later, you are using it to try and teach people and help people. It's yeah. pretty amazing. And, and that's by choice, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I feel a sense of responsibility um, to make sure that these kinds of things don't happen again. Like people like me need to share a story and make sure that even though 20 years later, it's still a part of the conversation, you know what I mean? And still, but also people need to realize like, okay, it's over 20 years and there's still things that I deal with. There's still things that I cope with and there's still issues that I have. Um, so just because everyone else forgot about it, it doesn't mean that it's not a, a thing anymore. And I just realized for those not mathematically savvy individuals, um, I was six years old at the time. I forgot to mention that. So if you did your math of 28 minus 20 plus years, 22 years, um, but yeah, I was six years old at the time. So, you know, it was, it was a lot to go through as a six-year-old. I, you know, I don't know anything about life and the world and tragedy and trauma at six. That's not something we're, we're supposed to learn about until a lot later in life. Right. It's, it's incredibly courageous that, you know, you, you step forward to try to help others based on your own um, you know, tragic set of circumstances that, that took place. Um, Thank you. It's you, you had uh, used the term that, you know, you felt a responsibility for it. I, I want to say um, brother, you don't have any responsibility to speak out, but what you're doing is, is heroic, courageous, noble. It's, it's so, it's so important. A lot of people, especially that have been um, survivors of, of things like that are not able to do that because they're not able to process those things. They're not able to speak out. And, and uh, I just want to say as, as somebody that had, you know, come from, you know, the background that, uh, you know, that we had uh, come from in, in, being involved in that stuff we do have and in my opinion we have the responsibility to speak out and, and and things like that because of of what we had done what you did was you didn't do nothing wrong you know you were just a child and you were vic victimized uh by this individual so um someone who was there with me she always coined the phrase like i was at the right place at the right time Right. Like I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing. I would, you know, it wasn't like I was wrong place, wrong time sort of thing. I was, I was doing exactly what was supposed to happen, but uh, you know, I appreciate it. I, you're uh, the second person ever to tell me that I don't bear that responsibility. And the first person had a massive effect on my outlook on life. But uh, um, so I, I appreciate it because it's, like I said, it's something that has weighed on me for 20 plus years. I feel like I've had people tell me that, you know, I have to speak out for, for their family members who can no longer speak because they've been killed. You know what I mean? And it's a lot. It's, it's a big stressor. Um, I feel like I'm never doing quite enough, but, uh, you know, I think everyone in this conversation can, uh, can, can proudly say that they're taking on their responsibility, whether it's, self-imposed or not and uh sharing their experiences i mean 
it's not like what you did was any less courageous than, than me coming out here and telling my story, you know? Well, it's, we're doing what we can to, to make things better in in this world. And, and as you know, and and it wasn't, uh, we didn't discuss it in in great detail, but um, unfortunately due to the 27 years that I spent in, in the white nationalist movement, I had met the individual that had, that had done that shooting. And um, he was a security guard at Aryan Nations when I had met him. So um, retelling this tragic incident is, um, it's just something I, I believe that the public really needs to hear about and remember. And one of the most important things I think that people can take away from conversations like this and why it's so incredibly important and why, why we uh, you know, have great love and respect for you for speaking out is that by telling these stories and experiences, these human connections, we're rehumanizing people. A lot of times people in these uh, extreme groups are looking at <clears throat> others as less than people you know, to be able to do things totally. like so I, I think it's really important that uh, people understand the, the psychological effect it has on, on the people. How, it, it, which brings me to my my uh, next question: How do you how do you process that? How did that feel? How did how did your family process it? If you don't mind, process me talking to you or or the shooting in general. Back then, what when what happened back in at the time? I mean, my dad always joked growing up before this even happened that kids don't come with a manual, right? Like there's, there's no way you don't know how to handle all the things that kids can throw in you. And this was an even crazier thing that nobody knew how to handle it. Right. Like my parents, their whole focus was, was me was getting me into therapy, was making sure that I had all the resources that I need, you know, filing paperwork for the victim's assistance program here in California to pay for therapy and things like that. And just making sure that I was able to cope with it how I wanted to cope with it. Um, And it wasn't, you know, they never went to therapy, the two of them. I have an older brother who was at camp with me that day, uh, but he was, getting on a bus at the back of the campus and he actually um, left the facility before the shooting was over. Um, so, and, and it wasn't until like two or three years ago that somebody asked my brother to be involved in, in a conversation that we were having. And he usually declined over the years. He always said, yeah, I'm not interested. Um, Cause that's just the kind of person he is. Like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to talk about these things and, and he processes things his own way. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, this one time he said yes. And my mom kind of realized that like for the last 20 years, their focus has been my healing. And they like totally didn't even think about my brother. You know what I mean? Like not, not in a way that they didn't think about him, but like, the priority was my healing and, and they didn't even think about the, how it affected him. Right. Like it, it affected him a lot. And it was something that, that he was there. He was a part of, he knew that something happened to me. He was older than me. So he was able to process it a little bit differently than I did. And so it's still, 
you know, going back to then, like, yeah, we went through the motions. We, we did everything we had to do to try and heal and, and get better as a family. But still now at 20 plus years later, we're, we're finding out new things and we're healing in a different way. You know what I mean? So it's, it was just trying to, to go at this as a family and, um, and how, you know, respecting how each member wanted to, wanted to heal. So, you know, myself and my parents, we wanted to get involved with activism. I saw my parents do that and, and that's kind of, it, it spoke to me. That was what I wanted to do. And uh, that's how I felt like I could help. And so that's what we did. We, we joined with different organizations. We started sharing my story, our story. Um, you know, my dad was working with some organizations. My mom was working with others. My mom ended up being an instrumental part of what was called the Million March, um, which was organized back in 2000. So the year after the shooting on Mother's Day, the goal was to get a million people in Washington, D.C. to protest the gun laws in the United States. And uh, they got very, very close with only like a couple of months planning. They, I think there was like a, around 750,000 people gathered in, in Washington, D.C., which was a massive demonstration. And, uh, you know, that kind of, that was the very start of it. And we never looked back. We've been doing activism work ever since. And that's been, I think, the most healing thing for us. That was going to be my next question. Was it was the was that um, did that help with the healing doing the activism? And so great. absolutely, because it I mean, it, it brings purpose to tragedy, right? Like, and, and that's ultimately what you are looking for when you're going through a trauma of some sort, like you need to bring meaning to what has happened. Um, so this was a senseless crime and I need to bring some kind of like silver lining to it, some kind of positive something. I need to make a change from it. Right. And especially, uh, the Jewish values within us is that you make the world a better place and you leave it better for the next generation. Right. So that's what we're doing. That's, that's our, our giving back to to future generations is trying to make sure that we right the wrongs from our current generation. So um, it's, I mean, it's healing for me. A lot of what I do is sharing my story and, and talking about trauma is oftentimes a really healing thing. So I always kind of joke, like it's, it's slightly selfish when I go out and tell my story, you know, there's a little bit of me that, that wants to share it because I know that the more I talk about it, um, you know, I get new questions that make me think about the situation in a different way that make me have new, you know, new revelations about what I was as a, experiencing as a six-year-old kid. And we're constantly evolving every single day. So, uh, you know, if you ask me one question today, the answer might be different tomorrow based on the new experiences that I have. So mm -hmm. for me, getting to continuously relook at, at my trauma has allowed me to to notice new things about myself, notice things about the way I healed, and um, and ultimately just kind of learn more and more about myself. And that's you know has been 
interesting. I don't want to say enjoyable, you know, but it's been, it's been interesting to just kind of learn these new things about myself. No, kind of along those same lines, like, um, how was it, uh, when you met with Jeff, like what, if you don't mind my asking, because I mean, here's somebody that used to hold similar beliefs and to somebody that went out and shot people and here you are face to face obviously now he doesn't believe the same things and he's advocating for a better future but being in your shoes if you don't mind my asking how was that or it what was tough <laughs> feeling i mean there was definitely there was a lot of fear leading into it at first um you know a little bit of like questioning the intentions right you know was, was this just a ruse to get me in a room is it you know, were the intentions honest or are they not honest? Like I, you know, I had no way of knowing it. So there was a lot of fear involved. Um, but I felt like it was the next natural step, right? Like I've talked to the law enforcement side of everything that, that happened to me. You know, I talked to detectives from that day. I talked to people in the FBI who worked on the case. I like, you know, I, I've dealt with everything on or talk to, to most of the people on, on my side of the story. And I really was curious to hear the other side. Um, but I also think a lot of what I talk about and a lot of what I have believed growing up is that, um, you know, prejudice is, can be defeated um, by just having people with an open mind sit down in the same room and have an open and honest conversation. And realize like okay i might be jewish but i could still be a funny nice guy that you know you could get along with we might you know like there it doesn't necessarily have to mean that i fall into to those those preconceived notions and so you know ignorantly i used to think in my teens like i can i can convince everybody to like me right um and so i was always i was always on the hunt like what could i who can I sit down with? Who can I talk to and try and sway their opinion and realize that we have some common ground? And so that's always how I took, a, took about the conversation when it came to gun reform too, right? Like find me, uh, you know, a lot of gun owners. It's my second amendment, right? I'm going to own guns because I can sort of thing. And we are so polarized as a, a country that like try and find the middle ground with somebody, see if we can agree on something like, okay, yeah, absolutely. You can have your gun, but do you need an AK 47, right? Like let's try and find our, our happy middle ground. And so that's kind of what was going through my head as I got past the, the fear of it all. It was like, you know, he's reaching out to me um, to, to hopefully make some kind of, you know, good relationship here. Like let's, Let's see what happens, um, you know, and, and let's see if we can make a difference. That was ultimately what it came down to. And uh, yeah, it, it, to me, it was like, you know, kind of how we were talking before we started, before we started all this, like it, it wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to do but i knew i had to say yes and i would get to the point where i wanted to do it you know what i mean like i, I 
it scared me. I don't like doing things that scare me, but I knew it was the right thing to do. So, um, and we sat down, we had a really, really good conversation and, and I was pleasantly surprised. Um, but, uh, I think ultimately what I really was excited about was like you said, he knew the guy who shot me and I've never met anybody who knew him. Um, you know, I met all the law enforcement people who worked on on the aftermath, but I had never talked to anyone who was there as a precursor. So for me, it was like, you know, my journey for the last 20 plus years has been trying to put pieces of the puzzle back together. What was I thinking? You know, what was I thinking as a six-year-old as I ran away? What was I thinking as he walked in? What were the people around me thinking? What was the shooter thinking? So like I was, you know, trying to put all these pieces together. I still try to put these pieces together. And so for me, this was an opportunity to maybe get a couple more answers. Wow. So once again, I come back to, there's that selfish nature a little bit and everything, you know? Um, but I was, I was curious. I wanted to know more because there is this big unknown in my life and, I'm coping with the actions of somebody else, right? I have no idea why they did what they did, who they are, where they came from, any of that type of stuff, but I'm the one dealing with what they've done. And so if I can try and fill in some of those holes, learn a little bit more about them, try and understand why they did what they did, maybe that'll bring me some kind of peace. Right. See, um, and I think I, thanks for sharing all that. I mean, that's it's really incredible. And there's people that are involved in these these movements. And this is what you're discussing, and and what drives you is is what we do as well with you know uh, relational dialogue and civil discourse and and trying to bring sides different people together because a lot of this, uh, Josh, there is no making sense of it in a, in a sense of like how can someone that doesn't know you. And this is uh, one of our colleagues and a good friend of mine, Daryl Davis, always, always said this. And this is something he said to me when I was still in the movement originally. He says, how can they hate me when they don't know me? Exactly. And that's like, there's no answer to that. It, it, it doesn't, yeah. it, it's, it's nonsensical in a way. But what I want to, I feel like we can use this as a teaching moment right now. And we talk about here is a young man that was six years old. Someone came into their school and just started shooting people. Now, you're an you know, speaking to the audience. If you're an extremist and you're considering doing something like this to someone else, first of all, you don't know those people. We've got a young man on the show and, and you can see how it's affected his life, his family's life, the people around him. And you can see how your cause the cause that the, the person that was going in and doing this, victimizing people, how evil your cause looks and how evil that is when someone from that ideology goes and starts shooting children. How is that okay? How is that normal? And I know, you know, not all of the movement groups agree with that. And that's not something that everybody celebrates there, but there are people there that do that do think yeah. that they're okay and they call them martyrs and things like that. So understand this, if you're thinking, and this is to the audience, if you're thinking to cause someone else harm, to do harm to other people, what you're gonna get is a backlash from the public, 
like what you're seeing now, like what Josh just explained about 750,000 people showing up at a march, that's the backlash that you're going to get when you harm someone. First of all, you don't, you shouldn't harm anyone else, especially strangers, someone you don't know. How do you know them? How do you, how, how is that okay? How is that acceptable? So that's- We weren't even in the same state as, as this guy. You know, he just, he picked a point on a map and that's where he went, you know? And, and to your point, like, you don't know these people. You don't know anything about them. Who's to say that, that they're making your life any worse, you know? Um, and, and yeah, we, it's unfortunate to say, but in 1999, these types of mass shootings where only one person died was like, that was breaking news. You know, unfortunately, we, unfortunately we've become a little desensitized and and these mass shootings happen a lot, but from one shooting in 1999, three quarters of a million people met in Washington, D.C., and that's not to bring up all of the remote marches that happened in different states, right? There was people, there were other marches in different states with thousands of people as well. So all of the sudden, you had millions of people rallied behind a couple of six-year-olds and because of one person's actions. And what it did was made, made the movement look far worse than, than, you know, the outcome of, of, or, you know, than any of their successes uh, trying to, to send a wake up call to America to kill Jews because it sent the opposite message. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so it was, it just doesn't get you what you think it's going to get you. Exactly. 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 And at six years old, my friend, you were moving the masses. That's impressive. <laughs> I put that on my mom. She was the, she was the, uh, the workhorse. Us moms. Have she was the one putting that. things together. Yeah, you don't, you don't poke mama bear. No, no, you do that's, not. You must. That's the one kids. thing I learned. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, and you're, you're absolutely right. And I wanted to ask you too, and I think this is a good moment uh, to, to teach uh, to teach a little bit too about the Jewish faith because there's so much I learned about the Jewish faith after leaving the movement. I used to think when I was there, I'm an expert on the Jews and all what I've what I've learned from the Jewish community being out since being out is almost the opposite. It's like in in school when you had opposite day, you know, all our kids yeah. that, you know, we all had that. It was like opposite day, except in real life, uh, learning about the Jewish people. So if you would, t- uh, you know, talk a little bit about your faith. And you did mention it earlier in the um, interview and, and the last time we talked as well about, um, and, and the word, I, I know the word, and it's right on the tip of my tongue, Keisha, maybe if you remember it, but like the... Tikkun Olam? Is that what you're thinking? Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, could, could you talk a little bit about how your faith... Uh, uh helps you in this and how yeah. uh, a little bit about the faith just to, for the absolutely audience. i mean judaism is like i said it, it it it's a lot like all the other religions like it's it's about you know a way to better yourself it's an opportunity to better yourself how can you do better for the people around you for the generations to come for the environment like what can you do to give back that is 
you know, it, we're repairing the world for, for future generations. And um, we also, you know, we have a tradition called Sadaka, which is charity, you know, it, the goal, and that's taught from a young age, like every, every week when I would go to, to Hebrew school, you would bring a little bit of money for Sadaka, whether it was 25 cents or 10 cents or whatever it was. And we would save up money. And at the end of the year, you buy food, you donate it to, to um, you know, homeless shelters and people in need. Like that was what we were taught from a young age was how can we take what little means we have and give back to the people around us. It's all about helping people. It's all about bettering yourself as a, as a person, bettering your community. And it's about, you know, tradition. It's, it's, it's all about positivity. You know, we, we just, we just, uh, yesterday was, was Yom Kippur, uh, which is the day of atonement as you start the new year. And <clears throat> it's a day where you fast for 24 hours and then it ends with a, you know, a big, big break fast, right? Like everyone comes together, you've got good food, you've got a good time, you take a bunch of hangry people and you make them happy. Like that's what it's all about. A lot of our, you know, a lot of it is just about having a good time. Um, and it's about being with, with family and with friends. Uh, a lot of Jewish traditions is just about being with family and friends at the core of it all. It comes down to to being a good person and being a good reflection to those around you. So it's, you know, it's hard to fathom that somebody can hate you for that. But like I said, there most religions share the same common cores, the same common beliefs, right? Like be a better person. And it's when you take it to extremes that we lose sight of what those what those initial pillars are of every religion. And that's to, to be good to yourself and to those around you. And that's ultimately to me what Judaism is. And I think that's a lot of fun of, of the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion is like a lot of it's open to interpretation, at least from, I'm a reformed Jew. So um, to me, a lot of it's up to interpretation and it's all about what can, you know, making it work for you. Right. So, for example, Yom Kippur, you're supposed to fast for 24 hours to atone for the sins. You ask for forgiveness from from those around you, which I thought it was actually a really um, uh, coincidental timing for having this conversation. Is, is that it was falling around the time of Yom Kippur, um, you know, the day the the day of forgiveness, and so you know, you what I was getting at is is you fast for 24 hours, but the religion also tells you that if you have some health reasons or whatever that you can't fast, don't do it. It's bad for you. Right. So like, there's this little bit of, there's an understanding that we're just human beings and, and while religion is important and it's a very special part of, of, you know, our lives, it's not the end all be all. It's, it doesn't make up 100% of who you are. There are other things that happen in life and you have to accept that. And to me, that sums up Judaism so well right? Like it's a, an understanding and forgiving religion. And that's what it is. It's faced nothing but persecution forever. And we still always come out with positive attitudes and, and forgiveness. 
that and beautifully stated and that is one thing that that i really admire about the jewish people especially the you know the ones that i've met the friends that i have uh from the jewish community i was shocked at the uh ability to like forgive and and kindness and and um nothing what i expected josh it was it was unbelievable you take care of your people you know yeah really really incredible how um considering everything that you've been through and and uh and all you do in in uh in the activist life and all that as a young father uh, raising a child how how do you uh why how even word this question i want to say how do you, how does that does this the activism and your past experience does it play into um how you how you do uh, parenting now and how how that how you look at life now yes short answer yes I, I you know i never understood it until i became a parent right but like i want her life to be perfect you know um and this i can tell my story a thousand times you're not going to get any waterworks out of me you bring her up here it comes um, you know, I just, I've been asked this question a couple of times and, and my answer changes, but, you know, part of me just doesn't even want her to know the life that I had before her, right? Like, I don't want her to know that that sort of evil existed in the world. And I hope that she grows up in a world where it's not the case. She doesn't know about things like that. She doesn't know that somebody could come and, and attack you purely for your religion, right? Um, so as a parent, like I just want, all I want is to make her laugh and smile and, and protect her and, and keep her life positive. And, and that now I understand like what my parents' struggle was when they sent me off to camp. And, you know, they told me for all these years, like, and, and they believed too that they could protect me. And now all of a sudden they, realize they couldn't yeah right and so i dread that day um because you see the innocence in their face right like and they're just learning about this world for the first time and, and they didn't ask to be born into this um you know so i want to make it a, the best world that it can possibly be for her I want her to experience nothing but joy. I hope that she never has to experience the same kind of traumas that I experienced. Um, but I, deep down, I know that everyone's going to experience trauma of some sort. I just hope hers is a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, as you said, we don't realize it until we become parents ourselves. And then, you know, we want, all we want is the best for our children. And to be honest, like you are doing, everything that you can to ensure that her future is different from yours. So if anything, you can have peace in knowing that, you know, like you said, it, it's hard. Like as a parent, like we don't want our children to have to deal with anything that we've dealt with in our past, especially traumas of any sort. And you know, there there's, I have three boys and it's like, Good I, don't, luck I to don't you. want them to. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I need it. 
I, I don't want them to have to deal with the ugly horrors of the world. And two of them are teenagers now. And it's just like, you know, they've, they've dealt with some things on their own. And it's just like, you, you, you want to build this umbrella of shelter over them, but you know, if you shelter them too much, then they're going to realize some of the horrors of the world yeah. and not know how to handle it. But yeah. like I said, at least you can have peace in knowing that you are doing everything you can to help ensure Thank that her future is different than the fu the one that you grew up in. Yeah. That's really all I can try and do. You know, it's, as I said before, coming back to it, there's no manual for how to raise a kid and there's no manual on how to be a good person. It's just, you, you do what you got to do, right? Like it's, um, and, and kids kind of reinvigorate you a little bit and, uh, bring some of that passion and that fire back and yeah, hopefully together we can make it a, a better world for, for them. Absolutely. Um, coming back to that, you know, you, you make the world a better place for the next generation. Yep. Absolutely. And, and, you know, Josh, speaking out and, and telling these stories, I know it's, it's difficult and um, you know, but the, the people out there that are, that are that need to hear the message the most sometimes when they hear stories about people that have gone through these things personal stories not you know not reading in a book something that happened you know long before they were born but actually hearing from individuals that had went through these things i believe and, and just from our work in in um, de-radicalization and disengagement is that we've seen a lot of people when they when they're able to make that human connection and they're able to, to break through that and, and uh, reconnect with humanity, that it's a life changer. I, I could say, I'm sure Acacia would agree too, in our own experience from leaving extremism and, and going forward, um, reconnecting with humanity is, is such a, a, a beautiful thing. And, and it's like your life reopens up and you have this, these feelings again, and, and you, you see the world through, through clearer eyes. So it's so important. I feel like, um, I just want to, I, I know you don't need the encouragement, but I want to say, you know, it is so awesome that you and all of the other people too, that have experienced this. And I, I don't like to use the word uh, victim isn't probably the appropriate word, but survivor. There's a lot of people who will uh, give you some flack for, for that word. Victim? The V word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah that's, that's not the right word. Survivor, right? Yeah. It, survivor. Survivor. Um, you know, you go through hell and back. You survived. Yep. And uh, no, I appreciate it. I do. And, and I agree. Like you need to, and a lot of times when I speak and a lot of times when I talk to people, a lot of people I've talked to have never met somebody who's experienced gun violence before yeah. or a hate crime. And so that's my message is that's not an excuse for you anymore, right? Even if we have only talked for two minutes, you now know somebody who's experienced gun violence. If you have more questions for me, you can reach out to me. You can, you can talk to me and we can take that up at another time. But that's not an excuse anymore. There is a human being on the other side of your actions and and you know you're absolutely right like it's easy to hide behind a keyboard it's easy to make these radical statements when you're in a group of people who believe the same thing that you do 
but take one of them and put them in a room full of Jews and all of a sudden they get a little shy and quiet. Like it's, you know, not that Jews are like some scary group of people. I promise you. <laughs> we're, we're the guys with glasses and, and, you know, standing over in the corner, but uh, like it, it's, it's a real person. And once you start to realize that, and once you start to hear those, those stories of real people, like, I think it, you know, you, you're not just talking about a number. You're not just talking about some generic topic. It's, it's a, a real person, a real thing, a real story, a real life that you're affecting. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, that's, that's a really important point. And that's part of the reason that I continue to share my story is because I, I see that same, that same view is like, you have to personalize it, right? I can throw out statistics. I can throw out numbers. I can throw out all of these, these studies and whatnot, but that means nothing if you don't have something to relate it to. We're human beings. We, we are innately looking for relationships with people, right? Mm -hmm. So if I just nominalize things and I make them, you know, write down statistics like it's not it's not as effective right we have to we have to come together as people yeah. well stated absolutely i i think it's incredible and you hit the nail on the head that you know we as people are relational beings we just are and it is so much easier to other people if we strictly use stat you know chosen statistics to go by or chosen facts or perceived facts and you know it it really does make a difference when you can say no this is a human being that went through something and this is somebody's whose life and it wasn't just your life that was affected but your entire family was affected you were the one whole family that went through the people the around me yep friends exactly. friends families um people you know there was hundreds of kids at the day camp those families were all affected um yeah. families in other states you know i have relatives in other states that were or, or other parts of california that were affected and their jewish community centers were affected and like it wasn't just you know a single place like when you if you used to go to a temple or a jewish community center back in the 90s there wasn't like really much in the way of security there was maybe one kind of roaming security guard now you go to a temple and there's security all over the place there's gates there's police presence there's you know after the shooting the jewish community center you had to be on the list at the guard gate before they would let you into the parking lot and then once you got to the door you had to be buzzed in uh, by somebody looking at a you know a video monitor they would check make sure you're on the list and then they would let you in so all of a sudden this place and this this community it was a community center it's for the people right and now all of a sudden it's closed off um so and that wasn't just at my Jewish community center. That was at JCCs across the country. Yep. And and I've met people 20 years later who, you know, just getting ready to send their kids off to camp or to a Jewish school. And they're having the conversation about the North Valley Jewish Community Center shooting in 1999. So still 20 something years later, you have parents and families who are scared to send their kids to a Jewish camp because of one person's actions 22 years ago. 
So it's, you know, it, it's, it's not just one person. It's not just me. It's not just my family. Yeah. It's thousands of other people who are affected by one action and not in the way that the shooter intended, you know? He didn't get the goal that he wanted. Instead, he got a more powerful group of people who were more pissed off than they were before. <laughs> you know, they they want to do something now and you've fired them up. So, yeah. you know, it's, and that comes back to what you were saying, Jeff, like your actions aren't going to do what you think they're going to do. Well, and I, I think, and especially you if you surround yourself with people who agree with you. Right. Yeah. And that, that's what I think what you just stated, too, about how the security and all that, that was something I didn't even think to ask. And I don't think a lot of people think about that. Um, and I have noticed it myself when I've, I've been at different uh, uh, synagogues in different places that there is security and, and things like that, now, which is on one hand, you want to you want to say, well, that's good that that's in place. But on the other hand, it's like it wasn't that many years ago when you didn't have to have that. So the radicalization that we've gotten there. Yes, exactly. And how, how does that, um, I know you kind of explained it already, but I I just, that that is something that I didn't even think to ask. Like, how does, how does that affect the, the person that um, even with, with the Jewish community being so kind and and giving and, and all this to have it's hard to process. I can't even ask the question. Like, how does that, it makes you sad. It makes you sad to see that, that this level of security is necessary, but it also makes you very happy that it's there because you are very aware that something can happen. We've unfortunately been too kind for too long and things have happened, right? Like, so you, it's like, like when you talk to that person who's always wondering what what somebody's angle is right like what what are they trying to do what are they trying to get at? like you have to have this level of skepticism almost which is sad it sucks that we've gotten to that point um as a country right like you have to be you have to worry about somebody else's intentions you can't just think that people are innately good you know so I, I know the question you're you're trying to ask, and, and the answer it sucks, but it's also a little bit of a relief. It gets a, it's they go hand in hand. You want them there, and you really don't want them there. Yeah, I just I, I think it's so important that we as a society, as a civil society, not as Jews, not as Christians, not as pagans, not as Muslims. Buddhists, etc., Sikhs, uh, so on and so forth, uh, whatever religion. I think as a civil society, though, I believe that we need to understand one another a little better. And and as you you stated so eloquently, that a lot of these religions are kind of the same in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And people don't realize that either. And, um, you know, like you said, how things are open for interpretation, just as you have different branches of Judaism, the Bible and, and Christianity is the same way. You have I don't even know how many branches everybody uh, it's the Bible's written in parables. So anybody can take it and, and put it different ways. It can be used as an extremist tool or it can be used as something that can be uh, very uh, helpful and, and good and a good way to uh, base one's life. And most of the religions are similar in that way. There's a lot of similarities. So I think if people just break it down and, and look at that and, and there's more education and there's more understanding about the different 
uh, not just the different races, but the different religions, the different cultures, a lot of these things, um, these cultural differences scare people sometimes because they don't know them and fear is is a fear of the unknown so i i think a lot of you said you had no idea in reality what the jewish culture was so you were taught to fear them Mm -hmm. yeah um and we met in person i'm i'm not that fearful (laughs) (laughs) it's it's this it's this lack uh, of understanding (laughs) you know it's uh yeah, you believe what you're told when you don't know any better. So, yeah. um, you know, that's why, coming back to why, what was I feeling when, when you and I first spoke? Like, I felt like part of this was a necessity, right? Like, you don't know which, what you don't know. And so this is my opportunity to maybe teach people a little bit about who Jews are, who I am show that we can get along, we can have fun, you know, we can have a good time, we can agree, we can disagree, and it's all okay. It's not, you know, at the end of the day, you've got, you know, you're a a parent, a son, you're a daughter, a parent, we all have the same relationships in some way, shape, or form to to people around us, Um, and when you break it down like that, you realize that we're all just this, you know, we're all the same. Those, those little differences don't really matter anymore when it comes down to it comes down to what what we're all really after in this life you know a better life for our yeah. children a better you know happiness and, and contentment and and uh, that's universal man that's that's humanity that's that's like if there's one message a, a person could take away from from this talk today and it, any of these lessons that we're, we're speaking about it would be that you know to reconnect with one's humanity is there is there anything else that you'd like to share, Josh, that um, or or that you'd like to to state to the the listening audience about your experiences? In all honesty, I actually all I want to say is thank you. Um, you know, I think what you're doing is an incredible thing. I think what you've done with your life in general is takes more courage than I could ever fathom. Um, and and what you're doing is, is really admirable work and, and I appreciate everything that you do. I think we need more people like you. And, and I think that what you're doing is there's no words, like it's, it's just incredible. And, um, and I hope that, that this gets through to at least one person, right? Like that's all we can really hope for, but, but the conversations you're having, the people you're meeting and the, the work that you're doing is second to none. Like it's, it's just, there's, we need more people like you ultimately is what it comes down to. And so I appreciate everything you're doing. I appreciate you having me on the call and, uh, and, you know, I hope we can, we can do it again. We can keep this going. We can keep building it um, for, for the sake of our, everyone's future. You know, we want to see a better world. And um, that's ultimately the silver lining for me too. Right. Like I, I, a lot of people want to know what my final take is and, and what my outcome is. And in all reality, I've lived a phenomenal life in part because of my actions, but also in part because of the opportunities that were handed to me because of what somebody else did, right? Like I never would have met you. We never would have had this conversation had this not happened to me. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for the things that I've gotten to do for the people I've gotten to meet for hopefully the lives that I've affected. Um, you know, to me, 
that's all worth it. And, and I hope that somebody who's going through hard times can take a look at this and say like, okay, you know, it, it's on me to, to make it better, but I can, there's definitely, there's ways to make it better. Um, you just got to commit to it. You got to work hard. It's not easy, but you can, you know, not to sound like some cheesy, like wall art, but you can do whatever you want to do. You know, this is, if, if you set your mind to it, if you really want to do it, if it's that important to you, you'll do it. I'm sure if I asked you 20 years ago, if you saw yourself getting out of the movement, that answer would be hell no. And, you know, over time, some clicked and, and you put your mind to it and you faced a lot of backlash and you did what a lot of people would call the, the unbelievable. And now you're doing something for the better, you know? So I think both of us have that kind of general theme in our lives and um, just kind of taking the crap that you're dealt and doing something better with it. 100%. Um, um, everything you just said, mutual as well, man. I'm, I'm so inspired by you and, and the, the you. courage and the work that you do. And um, there's so many people out there, Josh, that, that are inspired by it, that you will never know. I'll never, we'll, none of us may ever know how, how many lives we're touching, but it's, it's being All I done. Can hope for. It's, it's Good. so, it's so incredible, man. Um, thank you so much. And, and uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Acacia, it was great to meet you. You too. Thank and, you uh, so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was great to great to be on here. If we ever want to do a follow-up, you know how to find me. <laughs>